There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. His parents called him Eustace Clarence, and masters called him Scrub. I can't tell you how his friends spoke to him, for he had none. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Eustace... Nope, sorry, I'm Kel. It's okay, you don't have any friends either. That's, you know, how I feel. (laughs) Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, Just a reminder that we are talking about uh, now the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. but. General spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too too far out there. But today, we're discussing The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Chapter 1, The Picture in the Bedroom. Mm. Kel, that's not true. You do have friends. Thanks, you, in man. fact, have a wife who's like better than a friend. You're about to have a kid who will be like a built-in friend for the first like 10 years, and then they'll hate you for a few years. But then after that, they might be chill. Maybe. I don't know how you, I don't know if that's how friends work. Cause like, is a friend someone that I have to like, you know, clean poop of, poop off of for like, like a really long time? I mean, you went to college. <laughs> yeah, but I was. I didn't go to college like that. Uh, <laughs> I would be lying if I said I didn't have to take care of people in such a state. But uh, never, never. It wasn't did, the highlight of your friendship, though. Never did I have to wipe off, uh, you know, a blowout of poop off someone's backside. I mean, you're right, Kel. I'm glad someone can finally say it. You don't have to be friends with your kid. In fact, there's no guarantee that you'll like your kid. Bingo. I'm planning, I'm planning on hating my son, so it's fine. It's uh, uh like you've just gotta you gotta assert your power, your dominance, maintain yeah. your status in the household. I plan on hating my son oh. so much, Chase, that as I said uh, at the beginning of this chapter, and as I'm going to say now in our summary, the the main character of this book, his name is Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he basically deserves it, as C.S. Lewis says. Uh, what a terrible name for a terrible person. Uh, his parents were very uptight, formal people with very special underwear. And also, he had no friends. Sounds like a triple threat. Uh, Eustace liked animals, books, and old pictures, but particularly when those animals were dead. Uh, and he really disliked his cousins, the four Pevensies, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. But he was actually happy to hear that Edmund and Lucy were coming to visit, not because he liked them, but because he liked to box them around and bully them because they're in his own house. Edmund and Lucy had to go stay with Lucy, had to go stay with uh, Eustace because their dad was going to lecture in America and he was taking Susan and his wife with him. And Peter was going to stay with Professor Kirk Diggory, uh, for you, those who have listened to the podcast, who'd had the wardrobe where they first entered Narnia. But they couldn't all go there because he was poor now for some reason and could only uh, afford to house Peter. The story begins with Edmund and Lucy stealing some time away from Eustace to talk about Narnia. They were in Lucy's room, sitting opposite of a painting of a ship carved like a dragon. I wonder if that's going to come up later in this book. Spoiler. And with one large sail, it was painted like it was coming right towards you. They remarked how bad it was uh, to have to spend their time there while also looking at a ship that was extremely Narnian. 
Eustace came in and asked if they were still playing their game of talking about their imaginary country, Narnia, and offered a limerick that he had partially written about. He then asked if they liked the painting, saying he disliked it because he dislikes everything. Edmund told him that he wouldn't see it if he went away, but he didn't get the message. Lucy said she did like it because the water looked like it was actually wet and the ship looked like it was actually starting to move. And, and Eustace turned to see that, indeed, the water was wet and it was moving towards them. And they were all astonished as wind began to blow from the painting and water began to splash out of it. Eustace said he would smash the picture and then uh, they were all pulled into it and found themselves swimming in the churning water. A person was with them in the water and there was shouting from the boat as they were gathered and pulled up by a rope. And the person was, dun, 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 Prince, I mean, sorry, King Caspian, the boy king of Narnia from last week's podcast. Crazy. Caspian asked who their friend was as Eustace stood crying, saying he wanted to go back. Caspian then called for spiced wine to warm up these children uh, who can definitely drink spiced wine. Um, and then Eustace cried more in surprise as he saw Reepicheep, the two-foot-tall true hero mouse of the story. They lead the kids to their cabins to change into their dry clothes, and the chapter ends. Hey, there are like almost 40, two of them. That's, you know. They can't even get carded anymore. That's that's true, man. Their ID is probably real confusing. Uh, but Chase, we mentioned this off pod, but this is my favorite of C.S. Lewis's opening chapters. Like, it's so good. I I don't know if you you know when you were a kid, if you you know when when you were in school and everything in your English classes, they taught you how to recognize like a really good opening line or, uh, you know, a really memorable opening line or how to like hook an audience with your essay or something like this really good memorable opening lines. You have like the great Gatsby. It's like famous for having one. You have um, incredibly loud and, or uh, something. So, and, something close, something loud. Is that yeah, what it's, it's the opening line is really good. It's like a rhetorical question. Uh, and then you have this one reminds me a lot of the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone for the Brits uh, listening, uh, where it's the boy who lived and it's talking about the Dursleys, about how incredibly ordinary they are in a book that we know as the readers is about magic, right? And this is how I feel reading about Eustace uh, because C.S. Lewis goes out of his way to mention just how terrible Eustace is. Uh, and he talks about him uh, being being called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and that he almost deserves it, almost like a joke in the first line about how bad the dame is, and he's going to then like talk about how bad he is. Chase, it looks like you've got a a, a quote from Sorcerer's Stone for us from my twentieth anniversary edition, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Not even Sorcerer. So British. So British. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say they are perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Like such a good opening line in a book about wizardry. Like it's it's great, you know. Uh, and I and this one I've enjoyed way more than I did the openings to any of his other books so far. Oh, for sure. It feels like he knows what's gonna anchor this book like it feels like he knows the character arc that he wants to explore um it, it really does seem like he's kind of found something to play with to start yeah. this book whereas the other ones he's just like 
kind of pulling teeth a little bit to get into the story. This one, it feels like right off the bat, he knows exactly the game that he wants to do. Yeah. That makes it more fun for us as readers to jump into that world with him because it's like, oh, well, this is compelling. This is a fun way to start a chapter to see how much you just hate this kid. You you know that you're going to dislike this person. And he tells you all the reasons why he's dislikable. One, he lets you know already that he doesn't have any friends. So that tells you something about his character uh, and something that is both frustrating and to be empathized with. Yeah, uh, but he it goes, could be sympathetic if he wasn't terrible. If he didn't suck. Uh, because he's like, he didn't call his father and mother, father and mother, but he called him Harold and Alberta, which, you know, talk about names, right? I'm sorry if there's any Harolds and Albertas. I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, then he goes, they were, uh, you know, advanced and up-to-date people. They were vegetarians and non-smokers and teetotalers and were, and, and <laughs> out of all these things, he goes, and they wore a special kind of underclothes. Uh, <laughs> Mormon? Sorry to any Mormon audience. <laughs> it was just... It was just really funny. Like, it, it was just like, yeah, and they wear special underwear. Super weird. Uh, but it just talks about all of the weird idiosyncrasies of Eustace and his family. Uh, they, he, you know, collects like pinned, uh, like dead beetles that are like pinned on a card. Um, and he's a really smart. Yeah, likes books and he's really smart but really uses his intelligence in like a judgmental way. Doesn't use it for like beneficial things or because he wants to know more, but because he wants to judge other people and he wants to kind of use that. And they describe that. And then he says he hates his cousins, but loves when they come to his house because he's in charge and he can boss them around. And then we get this description, Chase, of why Edmund and Lucy are there. Because remember, if you remember last week, a whole week ago uh, when we released the, the final chapter of uh, Prince Caspian, Susan and Peter are no longer allowed to come to Narnia. So we've got to get a way to separate them from Edmund and Lucy. And the way that we do this is their, their dad is going to, you know, lecture in America. He's taking his mom with her or with him because she needs a vacation. I don't and think we knew that their dad was a lecturer, but no, I thought he would. I thought he was fighting in the war. Last we saw, he was a soldier, but apparently that was a very long time ago. Now he's a professor, I guess, or a speaker of some sort, and he's taking their mom because she needs a motivational circuit. She needs a vacation. You know, definitely not the kids who have only, we've only ever seen them going to work or hiding from bombs, Uh, but they they take their mom uh, and they take Susan because out of anyone, you know, she would appreciate going to America much more so than the youngsters because uh, she's, uh, as everyone was described, you know, not bright, but very pretty and like shopping. Which, a bummer. Like, it's a super bummer. This is such a throw her character in the garbage description. Like, fully, it's like, Grown-ups thought she was pretty and she wasn't good at schoolwork, even though she was otherwise very old for her age. It's like like she's mature but very stupid. Yeah, it's just like I think my frustration with it, and we talked about this very briefly at the end of the last chapter, or that might have been off pod. I cannot remember to save my life. Um when you have three 
female characters in a book in in a book series mm-hmm. going to be for when we get to the silver chair yeah. but really four main characters that four are protagonists who are female yeah. Out of like an entire series of books and or everyone else's male to throw a female character away because she's dumb and pretty is tragic. And <laughs> it's really tragic for arguably 50% of possibly more the readers of these books being like young women who are looking to see themselves in a story where they can be like appreciated and honored oh, to yeah. have like half of the core characters of these books. Cause the Pevensies are the core of these books sure. to have one of the two female characters thrown away because all that matters is that she's pretty she's materialistic. Yeah. And, and let's be, let's be real. True. With the other ones, with uh, what's her name from A Horse and His Boy, and with oh my gosh, I'm blanking on what the the girl's name who will eventually come in Silver Chair. I don't like for those two and Susan's introduction. They all start as like the the shrew like character. They're all naggy. They're rude. It's like. Other than Lucy, you don't really have like a female character who is enjoyable and rootable, like someone you can root for. Yeah. The whole I time. mean, Polly kind of fit that in Magician's Nephew. I forget about Polly. That's true. Yeah, but like you're you're right. It's like they're all nagging sitcom wives with no yeah. other personality traits, and it's it's a bummer. It is a bummer. For sure. But. And then meanwhile, the reason Peter's gone is because he's off studying. He's got to study. And uh, he's with Professor Diggory, uh, who. Magician's nephew himself. Who who lost all of his money. (laughs) No uh, longer has a mansion. Don't worry worry. about it. It's not your story. Don't worry about it. He's in a little cottage and he can only afford to house Peter uh, for his study. But we can speculate. Why do you think he no longer has any money? Uh, his dude doesn't work. Like, dude sits around in his office all day. Like, I don't know what the property tax system is like in Great Britain. But. I mean, I can assume he's not a lord of any sort. Uh, and he had this giant property. Yeah. So he's not employing anyone nor creating. He's not a farmer. He's not creating anything for the land. Uh, he doesn't sell anything. Like, you want to know how he lost money, Chase? He doesn't do anything. <laughs> so, I mean, he, because we learn in Magician's Nephew, he inherited that land, or like his father inherited that land. He was coasting. Yeah. He was coasting then, off of his uncle's wealth. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It sent up a small red flag for me when. He was a very wealthy gentleman during the war and then post-war suddenly has nothing as if maybe something changed and post-war Britain Mm. were having to reorganize some sympathies towards various directions. Mm. I'm not saying he 
had any specific opinions, but it it concerned me. I would prefer to not think of Diggory as a Nazi sympathizer, Chase. So I'm not going to. <laughs> you do you. I will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Peter is studying. Susan is materialistic. And so Edmund and Lucy are stuck uh, going to their aunt and uncle's house to hang out with Eustace. Uh, and truly, this seems like the worst punishment of all of the books uh, so far. One, they were hiding away from uh, the Blitzkrieg uh, and they get sent to their uncle's house. Two, they're going back to school uh, in a railway station. But man, the worst has got to be hanging out with Eustace. Truly. It's, it is pretty darn terrible. I think Edmund and Lucy are like, we're, was getting bombed that bad. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, they got to go to Narnia for, (laughs) they had a doorway instead of having to get parachuted into the ocean. They get sucked into into an ocean through a painting. Even even the means of them getting into the world is much more violent in this. Much more violent. uh, But so they, uh, so they're chilling, they're hanging out. They find some alone time away from Eustace and they start talking about Narnia and uh, they call back to the end of the last book where they're, they know, I mean, they've been told, Hey, y'all are probably going to come back to Narnia at some point. And so they're like, and this has been two years now since uh the previous like in in the world time since the previous trip to narnia so they've been waiting for two years to go back to narnia uh knowing that they probably will so it they're probably getting driven crazy like that's that's tough like especially think about when you're a kid Mm -hmm. how long two years is that's a long time, man. How long a summer is, let alone two years. Yeah. Like, the fact that they still talk about Narnia every chance they get, they might need to find a new hobby. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they've spent more of their life in Narnia than they have in Earth. That is true. But also, if you've ever had a friend who moved to your place from out of town and they only talk about that place, it gets old. <laughs> Let me tell you about how great California is, Chase. You know, I just really think that, like, if you really knew how good avocados were in California compared to the avocados you get here, like, you really, you you would really, get, you know? If you're getting your avocados anywhere than avocados from Mexico, then you're wrong. They have a catchy slogan, Chase. Uh, anyways. But all that to say... Uh, they are just pining. They're longing to be back in Narnia so much so that they're looking at this picture in uh, in Lucy's room of, of of a boat. It's a ship that has a uh, a dragon masthead. That's the you know the little or the what not a masthead. What's it called? Uh, I I have no clue. I was trying to think of it. They called it a prow, and I don't know what that means. So that was uh, the prow is the front of the boat. Okay. Uh, but there's a specific word for uh, the like when you have like a mermaid or something like that on the front of a boat. Uh, or whatever. Just the listeners know that Kel did a small mermaid pose whenever he said. I put my arms back. Chase, if you're going to describe this, I don't understand why you wouldn't, you know, 
Look, you, I just I just needed everyone else to know that you are the king of the world in this case. I was going more for uh, Ariel on a rock. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Of your world, water. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, that's how it goes. So they're looking at this and they're like, man, this sucks. Because now we are thinking about Narnia and we're in Earth. And then we see this boat and they're like, I like how they immediately are like, that's a Narnian boat. Like it's got a dragon on the front. The wings could like go through the sides of the boat. Uh, everything like the masts look Narnian. Everything looks Narnian here. Uh, and wouldn't you believe it, Chase? It might be. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, and then the real the real tragedy of this is not that they're just stuck in a room looking at a Narnian ship wanting to be in Narnia, but it's that Eustace shows up, Chase. Yeah, yeah. And, man, if anyone has ever not gotten any hints to leave, it's Eustace. Because they're yeah. blunt in telling him. And then <laughs> not so want to hang out with you. I... I only, my notes here are just Edmonds. Like, so what I do is like, I highlight my, my chapter and my, on my, so I have it on the little Kindle app uh, and I just highlight uh, things that I want to talk about. And I just highlighted Edmonds responses in here because uh, Eustace comes in and he, you know, does this little like Narnian limerick that's unfinished. He's trying to, you know, just make fun of uh, Lucy and Edmund for, you know, wanting to be in this imaginary world. Remember, he is younger than both of them. And yeah. as has been said in this chapter, is weaker and can get beat in a fight by Lucy, let alone Edmund. Uh, and but so he's before he even says the limerick, Edmund just says, "You're not wanted here." <laughs> and then he says the limerick, uh, and like, like Lucy's like he tries to rhyme Narnia with Balmier, which like if you're if you were rapping, you know, I would like like be like. Narnia and Balmia, like you can make it work. And so you, you think it's a British thing of like Narnia, Narnia, Balmia. Like I could see it, you know. It's either that, or you know how sometimes British people will like, round out their vowels with R's for no reason. Narnia, Narnia, <laughs> yeah, Narnia. I see it. Either way, I can see how. And and Eustace goes, it's assonance. And then Edmund's like, don't ask him what that means. He's just going to talk about it more. <laughs> to, don't ask him what what means co uh you know i'm just gonna go for it uh but this it's is written by c.s lewis written by c.s lewis like he not he the first shrek joke that we get in the series to be fair not the yeah not the first uh assonance joke that we get in this in this series uh and he he really takes some time to like make a little joke here but edmund's like don't ask him about it he's just gonna talk and talk and he won't go away and then uh eustace just does not get the hit and he's like you like the picture and edmund is like for the love of god do not ask him about it he's just gonna talk about art uh, and no one wants that uh, we don't and then uh like lucy's like yes i do like it and Eustace is like it's a terrible picture i hate it uh <laughs> this is the response that I love the most, Chase. It was so good. Edmund goes, you won't see it if you step outside. <laughs> he's just he's just trying so hard to get Eustace to leave, and I'm yeah. all for it. Which so far, Edmund's the jerk here. He's okay, like, granted. He's mean, but it seems worthy. Yeah. 
Eustace, so far, like, other than the fact that we're told his intentions by the narrator, like, he's just coming in to see what they're doing and then asks if they like the painting and then goes on to say, well, why do you like it? Like, he's not, like, just like you're dumb for liking it. He's like, well, why do you feel that way? He, he did start their interaction by making fun of them with a lyric or a limerick. I mean, look, if you can come up with a limerick to make fun of me, I'm just be like, you know what? That's fair. But it's got to be better than that. You can't rely on assonance. You got to actually, uh, actually have a solid rhyme. But to be fair, he only came up with 40% of a limerick. He only has two lines. Yeah, he, so. he needs to round it out. But but. All that said, like I can, I am like like I said before in previous podcasts, I'm Team Edmund now. Edmund Edmund is the best, uh, and he is he he is slowly become my favorite character, other than Reaper Cheap. Uh, Reaper Cheap is the goat always, but he is. Uh, I'm for Edmund in this moment where I'm like, dude, if you're tired of someone and your patience is just ran like completely dry, you're like, you know what, just leave. Before I say anything that's really mean, just get out. To to be as blunt as he's being is incredible. I don't it's, have the heart for it, but it's hey, incredible. we're neither of us are, are 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 this way. My my wife is an Enneagram eight, and so we like to describe her as aggressively honest uh, sometimes. Uh, where she's just like, when she loves someone, she's very kind, very thoughtful. But for the people who are just like, there's there's you know no love lost for them. It's just like. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so they're they're trying to get rid of Eustace and he asks, Why do you like it? And Lucy's like, Well, the boat, like the ship looks like it's moving and the water looks like it's actually wet and the waves are moving. And Eustace was about to start being snarky about this, and he was gonna respond to all these things about, you know, why like he was gonna talk about the things that made the painting look this way from an artistic standpoint, so that he could show how much he knew. But then he was like, Oh crap that ship does look like it's moving and the waves do look like they're moving up and down and the water does look wet because chase water is wet. According to CS Lewis, water is wet. Yeah. I do think it's funny that as he's describing, well, I guess what happens next is that the, they all turn and look at it and realize like, Oh wait, this painting is actually moving. Mm -hmm. And looks very real, like too real almost. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis says, it doesn't look at all like a cinema because the colors are too real and clean and out of doors for that. Which, what a way to age a book by saying that the reason that something doesn't look like a movie is because it has color. It is really funny reading that now and being like, there are certain movies that look more real than what their actual thing is because they edit it and enhance it. And, you know, do you think CS Lewis could handle a Marvel movie? Man. Could you think CS Lewis could handle a modern adaption of his books? Well, I think he could handle one of them. <laughs> <laughs> he could handle Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobes. Yeah, uh, the he other can ones handle this adaptation of his works. <laughs> Although 
I will be picturing the kid who plays Eustace in the movie through all of this because he's iconic. He is like all this said, man. This book, this movie is terrible. Is a bad movie, but Eustace is really good. He's great. I will do my best throughout the course of this book not to reference the movie We're the Millers outside of right now. <laughs> also in that movie. But Eustace, the, the crossover of like Eustace talking to Edmund and Lucy, you're like, y'all are getting paid to go to Narnia? <laughs> oh, man. Such, a, such a great character in this movie. So, you know, in the movie as a whole, this is real bad. Honestly, an underrated actor. He's he's really funny. I'm a I like comedic him. actor. You can get Marvel movies. He's gonna be uh, Adam Warlock in the next Guardians movie. Oh, is he coming into Marvel? That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's the rumors, at least, which will be pretty dope. But we get back to Narnia, uh, and the 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 painting begins to expand. The frame begins to grow. The water and the wind begin to spill out, and they're getting buffeted by wind and splashes of water. Eustace tries to go and close the frame or rip it off the wall somehow. But as they do that, him, Edmund, and Lucy get pulled into the painting, uh, and they go splashing into the water. Uh, and they, you know, have been magically transported into this world, right? Into the world of the ship. Uh, And uh, you can tell they're in the ocean. uh, And Eustace, the whole time, is just such a whiner, such a complainer. Uh, Like, as much as I hated Edmund in the beginning, I hate Eustace so much more right now. And I'm really glad, spoiler alert, he's going to get a good character arc. Like, a very, very good character arc in this book. Yeah, it's necessary, but... Yeah, C.S. Lewis knows that his goal is to make you hate Eustace, and he does he not pull any punches. He accomplishes his goal because he's like, "Stop it! I will tell Alberta on you." <laughs> this is very Draco Malfoy, like my father will hear about this uh, kind of energy. Because he doesn't call his mother, mother. <laughs> Alberta. <laughs> so. Uh, there, he's just complaining and saying "ow" over and over and over again, and uh, they, you know, get dragged in and they're splashing around in the water, uh, and they, you know, they're they're trying to just stay afloat, uh, but Eustace is crying and shouting, and his water like just gets, which is what you don't do in the ocean, like you keep your mouth shut, and then we get some great like we get just a little aside from Lucy's perspective here. Where uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, is trying to share some some you know wisdom and some practical uh, explore exploration and like survival guide knowledge uh, with his kids, where he goes. So Lu- Lucy thanked her stars that she had worked hard at her swimming in the summer term, which, as you remember from the beginning of Prince Caspian, she's not a strong swimmer, and so this is good for her. Uh, it been very dangerous to bring her into Narnia if she hadn't. And so Aslan clearly waited until she was a strong swimmer to pull her into the into the world of Narnia. Um, and then it says, still, she kept her head and kicked her shoes off, as everyone ought to do who falls into deep water in their clothes. I like hmm. wouldn't have thought about that, I but it, weigh, it, it weighs you down and it gets caught on things. So that, you know, that makes sense. I can see that. Uh, and then 
says she even kept her mouth shut and her eyes open. Uh, and so uh, that was the thing where I was like, I think he's just telling people like, hey, kids, if you ever fall in deep water, kick your shoes off, keep your eyes open, keep your mouth shut. This is his much briefer version of you should never lock yourself into a wardrobe. <laughs> Man, I forgot about that phrase, Chase. It's been a long time. since I mean, heard. the phrase that was in every single chapter of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, except for one. <laughs> Mr. Beaver is somewhere swimming behind them going, don't lock yourself in a wardrobe. Aslan's not a tame lion. Take your shoes off. <laughs> So many safety tips in these books. Practical wisdom, man. Survival, sur- Clive Survival Lewis. Yeah, Clive uh, Survival Lewis. The only gap, he doesn't know not to talk to strangers. That's he's not, very pro strangers. Pro strangers. Because what if they're helpful fawns who don't kidnap you? Yeah, what if they're helpful fawns that do kidnap you, but then feel bad about it at some point later? Yeah. Clive redemption arc Lewis <laughs> the master. But so they're splashing around in all the water and uh they see they see a figure dive off the ship and Edmund is uh you know car- he's like for all the you know crap that Edmund gives Eustace, he immediately goes, sees that he's drowning, and wraps his arm to pick him up, make sure that he's okay. Uh and then the the person who dove into the water gets the other side of Eustace, uh, and they begin to uh, fasten ropes around Lucy, and they pull her up to to the boat, and then they pull up Edmund, and then they lastly pull up the miserable Eustace, uh, and then last of all comes the golden haired boy, the the golden haired <laughs> South Pacific White Aryan Caspian. Who was apparently from the Pacific Islands. Yeah, we. I think we were talking about this off pod. Again, cannot remember. So if we've already talked about this, get over it. Um, but yeah, we learn at the end of Prince Caspian that Caspian's people were natives of a Pacific island. So blonde hair doesn't work here. It doesn't track. Uh... Like, like, Caspian should be like, indigenous hawaiian or like filipino like he shouldn't be like white irish british like this doesn't line up (laughs) he's not popping out of the water being like hello governor i mean he might because everyone in narnia has british accents naturally but if he was australian chase crocky mate uh that would be way funnier uh, for me, but no, in maybe Lyria, that's the island in the Pacific. <laughs> was the you know, give the like the movies deserve as much hate as they can get at this point. However, they actually make the Telmarines not white, which I is mean, they make them a little bit Spanish, though. Which they is do make them Spanish, a little uh, still not they, correct, but but they they're. It's different, but you clearly like they're clearly they're not Anglo. They're not Anglo, uh, which is important here. But all that to say, they recognize they're like, oh, it's Caspian, and, and you know they're super, you know, happy. Lucy gives him a hug, and Edmund and him clasp hands, and then Caspian's like, but who's your friend? 
with with the undertone because he sucks. <laughs> yeah, everyone immediately dislikes Eustace because they read the first sentence of the chapter, and they go, um, "Yeah, this is a cat." Yeah. To be fair, Eustace is having a proper response to the situation. So Eustace, the reason they ask is that Eustace is standing over there sobbing, crying, saying he wants to go back because he just got forcibly ripped out of his house into and thrown into the ocean. Into another world. Yeah, into another world. Like, and then almost drowned. Almost drowned. Eustace's reaction is completely acceptable here. I'm for this, like, be allowed to feel your feelings, Eustace. That's fair. You bring up a great point, because C.S. Lewis is basically just like, quit being a baby. I know you just drowned in a different world, but, you know, suck it up. Yeah, it's not quite fair. It's not quite fair. for other reasons, not this reason. But soon, he will make sure that he is still dislikable. Because he's complaining and whining a lot, but you know that is what it is, uh, and they're they're going for it. Um, uh, but they Caspian's like, "What am I doing? Y'all are freezing. Like, go get some spiced wine for these children, because uh, like, let's just you know give alcohol to to eleven year olds." I mean, uh, why else would kids become pirates? I mean, that's the only reason for me to think that all these kids stayed in Neverland. I, I guess so. I mean, Caspian is kind of just leaving the Lost Boys now, right? Like that's yeah, the Lost Boys, except replace like humans with Reaper Chief and uh, you know Trunk and the Dwarf and things like that. Sure. I mean, this is also the Odyssey, but at the end of last chapter, C.S. Lewis also decided that this was a. Uh, a Peter Pan book, so it's all of it. Yeah, if there's a story, C.S. Lewis is going to incorporate it into Narnia. But he then goes on this little, uh, this little detour to describe time in Narnia because it's been two years in the real world, and last time we had a one-year gap between the Pevensies entering Narnia. Thousands of years had passed, and now he's like, "Hey, if you know, if you spend a hundred years in Narnia and still come back to our world." You would come back at the same time in which you left, but then if you you know came back a week later in the real world, you might find that a thousand years had passed, or only a day, or no time at all. You never know until you get there. So stop asking me questions because I'm tired of answering all of your stuff about how time works in Narnia. Um, C.S. Lewis just be like, look, we don't need rules. Rules aren't important. Rules are stupid. Stop asking me. This is a kid's story. Chase and Kel, you jerks, stop nitpicking my book. And I don't know how he knew that we were going to do this, because he's dead. But good on him. I mean, I did do a seance to someone that goes to C.S. Lewis right before this. Like, I hope you didn't, Chase. Do not? I, no, I don't mess with, the, I don't mess with demons. That's, that's why we started 10 minutes late. Ah, well then, uh, Chase, I'm going to have to end this chapter real quick. I I did not. Please do not get a get a Ouija board. Do not recommend. Do not. Play games with yeah. demons, kids. Uh, not a. We are not. We are not pro that at all. Uh, but uh, so, is Reaper cheap? Pro Reaper cheap, man. He comes in like the beautiful stallion mouse that he is, uh, because he enters in, and uh, like. 
after after them like complaining about Eustace some more and, and recognizing how terrible he is, Eustace is like, Ugh, what is that horrible thing? And it turns out, boom, it's the man, the myth, the mouse, Reaper Cheap himself. Has he gotten taller? He is a two foot mouse, like standing on its hind legs, which is huge, Chase. That's like, a large mouse. That is <laughs> that is twice the height of my dog. That's like if you if you got like a poster and we're like holding that up, you know, like a like that's that's like a poster sized mouse. It's uh you know what? Again, gotta give credit to Eustace because I think we should judge him on his actual <laughs> actions, not his like He's seeing a giant mouse with a sword. I mean, this is like he went to New York for the first time. Like <laughs> <laughs> What a shot at New York. Um, I, mean, I feel like every is this New Yorker I've ever heard talk about the rat problem. Dude, is this pizza rat? That it's essentially, this is pizza rat. Man. Uh, but yeah, he sees Reaper Cheap, who we know is the best, uh, but Eustace clearly does not. Uh, but he's got like, it, it gives him even more description now, where he's got like this gold band around his head that's like holding a feather, like a crimson red feather against his like dark fur, which like makes him look pretty dope in my yeah, mind. Yeah, he's accessorizing. He's living his best life. He is he is full, full like musketeer mouse at this point. He's going full Moira Rose, has layers of jewelry on. <laughs> oh, David. <laughs> Oh, David. David. I finished that series last it's night. It's so funny. That's it's so good. Everyone it's watch Shit's Creek. It is not a bad word. It is S-C-H-I-T-T-S. One of the best shows I've ever seen. Hilarious. <laughs> David. It will make you laugh you look like so a hard and then laugh. also cry. It's so good. You look like a disgruntled pelican, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, but, so good. Uh, but yeah, real Moira Rose vibes, real three Musketeers vibes here. Um, and he's and he's going for it. And it says Reaper Cheap, the most valiant of all the talking beasts of Narnia, the chief mouse who had won undying glory in the second battle of Baruna. Uh <laughs> And it's like such a such a G. And then Lucy's like, like he goes, Lucy, as she always wanted, really wanted to take him up into his arms and cuddle him, but she knew that that would have been really offensive. So instead, she takes a knee before him, uh, and he, you know, bows to her, kisses her hand, straights, straightens himself, twirled his whiskers <laughs> like a true musketeer, uh, like a mustache, uh, and then is like, he, he's so good, Chase, a legend. I, I like that he, like, it's like any time any Disney TV show realizes they've got a character people like, so they just make him the center. C.S. Lewis realized what he had in Reaper Cheap and went all in. Oh, and yeah. We're here for it. It's great. Reaper Cheap only gets better through this book, which is hard to do because he's already so good. Yeah. I mean, if anything, like, other than Eustace, Reaper Cheap could be the main character of this book. I'm for it. I honest and and Reaper Cheap is a significant factor in Eustace's redemption arc. Yeah. So, you know, give him even more credit, Chase. 
Almost he, like this is a Disney movie where Eustace is the princess and Reba Sheep is the talking mouse. Mm, could be, could be. But uh, Reba Sheep is, he's like humbling himself before, you know, uh, King Edmund and Queen Lucy. And he's, you know, he's like, this was great. Nothing was lacking this voyage except you. And now you're here and everything is glorious. And Eustace is like, ew, take it away. Gross. I hate mice. Uh, and, and he's like, I could never bear performing animals. It's like, oh, you just made a mistake, son. I mean, Aslan said if Reba Sheep went to Earth, that's what he would be put to work doing. So. And then this this begins the like the small it's it's subtle in the first chapter, which I like. It doesn't just outright speak it, but you're going to see hints of it. And then it's going to come up later uh, where he's like, am I to understand that this singularly discourteous person is under your majesty's protection? Because if not dot, dot, dot. Uh, and like what you're beginning to see is Reaper Cheap is like, I want to battle this dude. Like, and then, cause then he's going to go to the convenience of a lady. Even a question of honor must give way at least for the moment. He is trying to duel Eustace right now for honor's sake. Cause he has been slighted. Which it would be real funny to watch. He's just, Dual Rebachit. A two-foot mouse who slices and dices him into bits. It it would not end well for Eustace. No, dude. His his shins would be destroyed before he was murdered. Uh, but alas, we don't see the duel yet. I, Maybe we will. Not quite. Not, not quite. But Eustace like that. the parade first. Mm-hmm. But Caspian doesn't allow the duel to happen. He's like, all right, let's go. To, let's take you to your cabins. Lucy, here's your cabin. Edmund, here you go. Here's some dry clothes. And we end the chapter on Lucy basically being like, this is great. I'm so excited. I love everything. Yeah. Also, I couldn't quite place. Does Lucy get Caspian's cabin or does she just get Caspian's clothes? Uh, she... She is in Caspian's cabin. It says, Lucy found herself as much at home as if she had been in Caspian's cabin for weeks. Like, she's in Caspian's cabin, and it feels like she's already been there for a really long time, and that this is where she belongs. Yeah. So Caspian, what a G. Just gives them, like, these, these people that he's met once show up randomly. He saves them, and he's like, hey, take all my clothes. Take my cabin. Take the cloak off my back. Super like, respectable. And Caspian, oh, not huge. Like, respect to give the girl her own room when he didn't have to. He's he's the current king. He is King Caspian, man. This is his boat. It's got a dragon on it, man. So Narnian. So Narnian. But Lucy is like, this is great. We're going to have an awesome time. And that's how the book, the chapter ends of just being like, they were in for a lovely time. Okay. Somewhat. Seems like it. Looking forward to it. Love, uh, love Odysseus. Love the Odyssey. What are, uh, one of my favorite stories from mythology. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Which, I mean, that is essentially what this book is going to be, like pretty on the nose. And mm-hmm. like, that is something that C.S. Lewis both really loves, like, ancient mythologies and also like loves to take ancient mythologies and basically just plaster them right onto his stories. 
great book, uh, Till We Have Faces, his retelling of the story of Cupid's Psyche. Highly recommend. Yeah, it's really good stuff. But Chase, it seems like we're in for a great time. But before we get there, would you like to dive further up and further in? I would love to. Am I going first? Uh, whatever you want, man. Sure, I'll go first. Uh, so my, for my further up and further in, uh, really just wanted to start off this book the way C.S. Lewis did, uh, talking about having an unlikable character uh, be a center point within your book. I mean, so we talked about people like the Dursleys uh, who become these iconic, like foundational characters within the Harry Potter series, kind of the foil to Harry's goodness and, and specialness is their badness and like obscene normalcy. Um, C.S. Lewis here starts out this book by painting the most unlikable picture of a character he can think of. This kid is rude. He's nerdy. He doesn't have any friends, but he's also a bully and he uh, likes dead animals and boring books with pictures of grain elevators and calls his parents by their first names. Like he's that kid. And so C.S. Lewis brings in this unlikable character so that he can be a foil both to Edmund and Lucy as his cousins, but also to Narnia as a whole, or more so as one of the center characters of this, Narnia becomes a foil to him. And it becomes a story of his character development arc and seeing him go from terrible to being someone who we, I assume, will truly love, care for, and be rooting for by the end of this book, because we're going to see how these rough edges get get softened throughout the course of this book. And so, yeah, it's easier to like someone after seeing them grow. This is something that, like, anyone who loves Game of Thrones, this is the reason they love Game of Thrones, is because it takes someone like a Jamie Lannister, who is ruthlessly bad at the beginning of that story and it makes him one of the central best most lovable characters most noble characters in the book and that's kind of what c.s lewis is doing here by having an unlikable character be a centerpiece and a foundation piece of the story he's giving us something to it's something to follow. This is going to be a useless story, even though we have a bunch of other characters we already know and love. Right on. Yeah, my further up and further in is going to be about expanding the universe, really about world building. Uh, we have had four Narnian books so far. We've seen the creation of the Narnian world, and then we've explored a lot about Narnia itself, had a little brief detour in The Boy and His Horse, uh, through a different country. But what we're getting now is a literal voyage, an expansion, uh, right? Uh, and this is, it, it's a really fun and interesting way for C.S. Lewis to give you more of Narnia without rehashing the same things. We're not going to spend time going to Aslan's How, the stone table. We're not going to see the same things again. We're going to go and see new things. We're going to go and experience new experiences in a magical world. And one of the really cool ways to do that is through taking a voyage, a, you know, a trip of exploration. 
this is their odyssey, their ability to go and find and explore and discover. And that, like, not only do the characters get to do that because no one has explored the oceans in a long time in Narnia, but we as readers get to go along with them in this same journey, in this same odyssey the the voyage of the dawn treader we get to expand the world with them and so it's a really cool thing that c.s lewis gets to do um and you'll see this in a lot of different literature where how do you expand the world well you do it through exploration you do it through going to the unknown territories you start small and you expand you grow bigger you start examining the you know the 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 neighboring lands and then you go further than that you go to the beyond go across the sea across the desert across the whatever it might be so that you can put more in world uh, and it's a really fun story so i'm excited to see the more that we get and the more you know lands and and islands and stops that we get to make here but chase our voyage has been started We've been sucked through the the portal of this uh, Zoom screen, uh, and now we're uh, now we're doing a podcast. Chase, who'd have thought? I know. I feel like I'm drowning. So, man, you and me both. But as you you know, as you're drowning, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a guy coming in over there to save you. Uh, but as he you know swims this way, uh, let me tell our uh, listeners where they can find more. Uh, of the Chronicles of Podcast. One, go follow us on Instagram at the Chronicles of Podcast. You'll find out when we've posted our new episodes. You'll get to interact with us on social media. Leave a comment uh, or you know send us a message on anything you'd like to hear. What is you know things are your favorite parts? Uh, what you're excited to hear about in the future books? Um, you can help uh, let us be found by other listeners by giving us a five-star rating. Uh, You can find us anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, wherever, especially on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us be found by other people. Share it with your friends uh, and uh, let them know if you enjoy it uh, and allow us to just, you know, keep having a good time with y'all. But in the meantime, make sure that if you ever found yourself in deep podcasts, take your shoes off, uh, shut your mouth, and open your eyes or your ears because you're just listening. And I really am probably going to bring up where the Millers once an episode. I am for it, honestly. You know, because I really, actually, truly do enjoy that movie. It's one of the better comedies in the last couple of years. He's in uh, what's it called, the Maze Runner. Uh, series i don't think i saw that you don't need to it seemed like it was trying too hard to be like hunger great hunger games energy and it was uh it was great they're good books really interesting books i'm sure Uh, they are the movies kind of suck uh but that's okay dylan o'brien is great i like him but he's about it um what else is he in uh I feel like he's got really good, like, like as an actor, he does really well at being dislikable. Yeah. Or he's like, he's definitely a good foil. Like, mm-hmm. cause even in where the Miller is like, he's the like annoying, like innocent kid that gets kind of dragged into other people's stuff. Like he's yeah. not, <laughs> he's not like dislikable so much as he's like, Oh, I can use you. Like, 